Shabbat Shalom. So Rosh Hashanah began on Wednesday evening, and Yom Kippur will be exactly a week from now. As Rabbi Jonathan said, we are in the middle of the Aseret Yemei Tshuva, the 10 days of awe. And everything about services, just everything in Jewish time during these 10 days, are supposed to evoke a feeling of the High Holidays, the music, the liturgy, the actual words of our prayer, and even the sermon. Historically, Shabbat Shuvah was when the rabbi gave the big, serious sermon, right? Typically, traditionally, rabbis didn't, didn't give a sermon, didn't preach every Friday, but on Shabbat Hagadol, before Passover, and on Shabbat Shuvah, they gave the big, they gave the big sermon. We seem to have changed it around a little bit. But tonight's sermon, historically or traditionally, is supposed to focus on moving you to repentance. You're supposed to leave tonight kind of with the nora, with both the sense of awe and the sense of fear leading into Yom Kippur. Our incredible cantorial team, our duo of Cantor Beric and Cantor Adi, has already showcased the difference musically, the kind of feel that you're supposed to have in Shabbat Shuva, how it sounds special. But tonight, I want to focus on how the language of our prayers and how the liturgy and its significance for our process of tshuva or of repentance happens. So we, we already were introduced to the idea that during the Amidah, during our standing prayer, our core tefillah, there are special insertions that we only say during these 10 days. You can see them noted in our prayer book. And the changes are recorded as early as the Talmud. Rav, in the, in the Talmud, specifically says that you're supposed to do the following in the Amidah during the 10 days of repentance. In the first paragraph, in the Avot and Imachot, in our prayer for our ancestors, you add Zuhrinu. Remember us for life, O sovereign who delights in life, and inscribe us in the book of life for your sake, living God. So that's the first one. The second one is in the Givarot, the next prayer, the prayer for God's power. Who is like you, compassionate God, who mercifully remembers your creatures for life? That's the second one. The third one is that we change Hamelech HaKadosh, the Holy King. No, I said that wrong. We usually say Ha'el HaKadosh, El being kind of a simple form of God's name, Ha'el HaKadosh, into Hamelech HaKadosh. So the Holy God into the Holy King. There are a lot of them, so stick with me. So the fourth one is in Modim, in our second to last prayer for gratitude. We add, inscribe all the children of your covenant for a good life. And then lastly, in Shalom Rav, in the prayer for peace, we say, in the book of life, blessing, peace, and prosperity, may we be remembered by God, we and all your people Israel, for a good life and for peace. So let's just review for a second. There are five additions to the Amidah, and they should kind of sound similar to you, right? Remember us for life in the book of life. Who is like you, compassionate God, who mercifully remembers us for life? You are the holy king. Inscribe your children in the covenant for good life. And in the book of life, blessing, peace, and prosperity, may we be remembered by God. So hopefully you got a sense that there's a theme that develops over the five. We are praying to a compassionate God, Av HaRachamim, a king who judges a ruler, literally. And most importantly, we want that God to remember us and to inscribe us in the book of life. So there are two main questions that come out of these liturgical changes. The first is, 
why do we say these prayers during the 10 days? Don't we already say them during Rosh Hashanah and then again during Yom Kippur? Why is it important that the 10 intermediary days that we say them daily? And Reuven Hammer, a conservative rabbi, teaches that the language of the Rosh Hashanah liturgy is extended so that we may grasp the importance of the 10 days of repentance, which lead to the climactic moment of Yom Kippur. So these changes teach us that tshuva is a much longer process that we don't just show up to services once or twice during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and poof, we are done. It's just a much longer journey than that. I think when I was a child, we, we didn't go to services much, so Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur were pretty much the, the highlights of the year, and I really thought that during that two-hour service, that was when you did your tshuva. And then you went home and ate, or you went home and you went to school, whatever you did. But then in other words, that whole process of repentance, of change, was supposed to happen literally while you were sitting in the chair, listening to the choir and the rabbi. But the reality is that it really is a much longer journey than that. It begins with Elul, the Hebrew month prior to Tishrei, the month that we're in right now. This year it was from mid-August to mid-September. And we get kind of warmed up. The Maharal of Prague is famous for saying all the month of Elul, before eating, before sleeping, a person should look into his soul and search his deed that he may make confession. So basically, we, we get warmed up. We begin to take account. We start asking ourselves questions. And then on Rosh Hashanah, we start to get serious. We ask ourselves, what are you going to do about those missteps that you recognized from last year? Do you need to apologize to someone? Do you need to articulate a plan for change? You really start to focus in and hone in on what's really happening with you. And during these 10 days, right after Rosh Hashanah, right where we are now, you're supposed to take action. You call up a friend, you write a note to a coworker, you return that item that you borrowed six months ago. Whatever it looks like for you, you really begin to act so that by the time you get to Yom Kippur next Friday, it's really the home stretch, the last opportunity to go deeper and really be honest with ourselves and with God. You have a total of 40 days, 30 days of the month of Elul, and then 10 intense days of awe to reach that moment. And by the end of the day on Yom Kippur, by Saturday afternoon this year, as the sun starts to set and the gates are closing, you should feel like you are finishing a tshuva marathon. Like an accountant on April 16th, or a rabbi after Simchat Torah. You should feel like you have, yelled. Yeah, the rabbis left, there are a lot of rabbis here tonight. You should feel like you've really been in something long, right? That sense of, I really just went through something, like a long school project. It should feel like you really put work into something so that by the end you eat at the break the fast and there's a sense of renewal but also a little bit of relief. We make a huge deal out of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur the days itself, as we should, but sometimes it's at the expense of the bigger picture. Tshuva, like most, most processes in life, involving self-transformation cannot happen in only 48 hours. Tshuva is the plot of a story. It has peaks and valleys. It should intensify as it develops. And most importantly, it takes time. So that's the first question. Why is it important to do 10 days so that you have the full 40 days to really make this count and to make it deep? The second question 
is of all the metaphors they could have used, of all the ones that the rabbis could have created, why did they choose the book of life? Why is being remembered in the book of life so important? Why does it express the importance of tshuva? Interestingly, the notion of God controlling our destiny through a book is biblical. In Exodus 32, God tells Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot them out of my book. And in Psalm 69, let them that sins be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. So early on, there's clearly a notion that God has a safer Chaim. God literally has a book of living or book of life. And only those who follow God's path get to have their names written in it. In some ways, it makes sense that the people of the book, right, would imagine God with a book. Literally, we read from Torah and God has a list of names. But what does the book actually mean? What does it mean if your name is written in it? Not surprisingly, there is no uniform Jewish answer. The book of Daniel, one of the latest biblical texts in our canon, hints at an answer at the end in chapter 12. At that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So in some kind of messianic age of redemption, only those who are in the book of life will be able to experience the amazing new era. So that's one possibility, that those are the people who are going to really experience the sweetness and the peace of the Messianic era. A medieval prayer from the High Holidays, the famous Unatana Tokef that we heard chanted on Wednesday and thir on Thursday, who shall live and who shall die, who by water, who by fire, it makes it seem like it's much more immediate. If you are not written into the book of life, you're going to die in the coming year. And it gives a lot of examples as to how that could happen. That's the second possibility. And, and the third is what most modern commentators really go towards, something a lot less literal. They understand the word life to be about the quality of one's life rather than whether or not one is breathing. Conservative Rabbi Joseph Braver reads it as, God, zochreinu, remember, l'chaim. Remember us in the year to come with many opportunities to say, l'chaim, over a cup of wine at a bris, over a bar bat mitzvah, a child's wedding, the birth of a grandchild, whatever it is, any kind of incredible accomplishment that seems sweet and seems to affirm life in your life, you say l'chaim. Not as literal you are going to live, but like the toast, right, that we give on happy occasions with the people that we love. We pray that God helps us to really live in the time that we have. So ultimately, these two questions get to the heart of why we have these insertions in our prayer. I think so often we just speed read through the liturgy or you know, we're kind of in our own space, but I think it's important. Rabbi Jonathan reminded us and really began Rosh Hashanah with the focus on the importance of prayer, that our liturgy, the language of our traditions, really the words that we speak to God with, is carefully constructed to reflect the special time that we are in on the Jewish calendar. So as the next time you see it in the prayer book, or as you leave today, and you have this next week from Friday to Friday to really let a seret, right? A chuva, these 10 days of awe sink in. I hope that we take this next week to continue the process of self-reflection, and when possible, to take action to heal our mistakes. On this Shabbat, 
We pray that we recognize our wrongdoings and we apologize. We pray that we commit to change for the better in the year 5775. We pray that we enter Yom Kippur ready to face ourselves and God. And we pray to have a meaningful Shabbat, an easy fast, and to find the coming year one of goodness and blessing. Shana Tovah.